Hello and welcome to episode 91 of Together, a Brighton and Over Albion podcast. My, na- my name is Josh. Uh, and this week on Together BHA, we have an interview uh, that I promised you last week, funnily enough. Uh, we will be speaking with Amy Merricks. Uh, she is the Brighton and Over Albion women's team assistant manager. Um, she had a superb conversation with me. Very grateful for her to come on. Uh, and we kind of did a recap from the conversation we had last year um, with Kirsty Holland. Uh, we kind of cover a bits and pieces uh, as to the women's team, how they've dealt with coronavirus and COVID and all of the kind of preseason or rather the season ending uh, situation that happened there. Um, and we also dig a little deeper into the the technicalities of the women's game you know how uh how is it you know for these women who come into the game and maybe have shorter shelf lives uh you know how do they deal with um education within the game um and even a little bit towards you know the acceptance within the game of of uh, the lgbtq community and all of that stuff so we really got into it with some really interesting subjects uh i thank her profusely for be for willing to have that conversation um and that is just about it for me uh, i don't want to really talk about too much about the team uh hasn't been a huge amount of stuff change in the last week other than just transfer rumor after transfer rumor but you know as i always say until they're holding up a shirt let's not get too excited um Congratulations to Anthony Knockart and Fulham for making it to the Premier League. That uh, that therefore completes our Premier League table for the 2021 season. So Fulham are back. Uh, you know, West Brom and Fulham, the ultimate yo-yo teams, seem to be bouncing up and down, and they are back again. So we shall see how that goes. Um, but for now, uh, enjoy the interview with Amy, and I will see you all in the future. Be safe. All right, awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show, uh, Amy Merricks, the assistant manager uh, for Brighton Over Albion's women. Uh, so I guess the first question I have um, is you have been in the women's game for a while now. Uh, I kind of read upon your bio and what you've been up to. Um, could you kind of tell everybody else listening uh, a little bit about your journey in the game, kind of where you began, how you came to be where you are? Yeah, of course. Um, firstly, thank you for having me, Josh. Um, I think, firstly, it I've probably been coaching games since it w- I was able to get some coaching time in. So as soon as I was 16 years old, you know, I was still playing at the time, started taking my coaching badges while I was at college, um, started going and volunteering, coaching different teams, all, all different ages, boys and girls, male and female. And it really built from there. It was very much voluntary for a few years. Then I went out and coached in America um, and that was, that was a great experience to, um, I guess, coach in a different environment, um, different pressures, you know, different challenges. And then when I came back from America, I started to really pick up some work with teams. So Gymnam Women's Football Club, um, again, voluntary, other clubs within that as well. Um, as well as doing some some P work and soccer schools and then from there really when I came back from America the second time coaching in America um, I picked up a job at Millwall Lionesses Football Club and that was kind of my first real part-time role I guess in a women's game and that started off being the head coach for the under-17s and at the same time I was the assistant coach for the development squad so I got my first taste of working with uh, I guess part-time senior women's footballers and, and it grew from there so 
yeah, it's been um, a long a long journey so far, but an exciting one, which has really progressed quickly, I guess. And and with the game progressing so quickly at the same time, it's been it's been a really good time to be involved with it. Um, but at the same time, have to be really mindful of continuing to. Um, I guess, keep up with those progressions in the game and evolve myself and upskill myself as much as possible, really. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I didn't know you, you'd been over to the US. I'm, I'm currently based out here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, right. So that's that's really cool. Uh, the, the, the women's game over here is, I'm sure, as you know, because you're involved in it, uh, is kind of very, uh, very, very popular, especially at a college level. So I bet you had a, an awful great experience over here with that kind of passion yeah yeah i did yeah that's really cool um so we have just finished off i say just we finished a while ago because they they kind of ended it uh in the manner that they did so we've finished the end of our second season with the albion women in the top flight obviously a great achievement um how how are you feeling about the the last season as a whole and and more so the manner in which it finished how 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 did you feel about that yeah i think firstly the, the season as a whole I think we're making great strides. We certainly have a really good foundation now to really build upon. And I think Hope's been really clear of that. We've all been very clear of we're building to ensure that we can sustain high performance at at the highest level possible. Um, We've gone through a really, a a huge transition from training three times a week to now with, we're a full-time outfit. We've gone from a transition of three full-time members of staff to now we have 10, you know, and it is, it is really building. So I guess building that further, but now we have that foundation of two seasons within the league. And I, I'm, I'm sure the fans could see this last season. And I guess we were, you know, it's gutting, isn't it? That the season ended as it did because we could really feel more success coming our way. And we were starting to really, um, definitely starting to show ourselves and really perform we're striving for more consistency in those performances, but we we certainly started to turn a corner. And in particular, one of the last games, um, when we played Manchester United in the evening at home, I think we really started to show what we're about, uh, what we can do. And obviously, as everyone knows in football, when you you get a few performances like that, it can really snowball. So obviously, it's a shame it ended how it did. Uh, We really felt that we were we're on course to continue great things and, and pushing in the right way. But ultimately, you know, it's for the safety of players and staff, everyone, the fans coming to get, it's, it's, you know, so I can't fault their decision in that way. And, and they obviously discussed it with all the clubs and it, it was so important to make sure that when we do come back, which now it's to prepare for the new season, it's in it's in the right way. We have the protocols in place. We have the support in place to you know ensure that everyone is safe and and we have the right procedures uh, to make it the safest environment and and protect everyone within it. So obviously gut wrenching that we had to finish it the way we did. But I absolutely understand that it is it's health and safety first. You know that is the absolute priority. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think the Albion have done a fantastic job. I mean, I'm sure you agree that they've just been leaps and bounds ahead of ahead of what I would expect anybody to be able to accomplish in the short time that they did. So I think that it's great that 
it was, you know, safety was paramount. And, and I think that this next season, I'm sure will be much better prepared and able to get it uh, kind of at the, at the level they need to be to, to play a full season, whether it's behind closed doors or eventually getting some fans back. Um, the rest of the questions are all kind of fan based. They all have a lot of, a lot of fans have been in touch with questions they had pertinent to the women's team. Um, okay. So uh, there's some very interesting ones. So the first one I'm going to ask uh, is, you know, as the assistant manager and having been at the Albion a long time now, uh, can you speak about the potential commitment um, mentally and financially for women's players? And what I mean is, is that as we've been seeing uh, in the press, especially with the US women's team, legal challenges um, being a major talking point, um, it would be good to understand more the demands that the women's side of the game face. Uh, did they have to give up a university path or other job for the role that they play now? Um, and do they, like many men should, in my opinion, uh, have a career prepared for, for after the game? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's something that probably we don't talk about enough because like you say, when you come to the end of your game and you retire and all you've done is football, what then? And actually that tends to be the, you know, that's normally a turning point for a lot of uh, retired professionals in terms of uh, mental health and uh, and issues around that. So we're very strong advocates here of having a, a dual career pathway, almost parallel planning. Football isn't going to last forever. So a lot of our players are on uni courses now. Obviously, it's difficult to do that full-time as well as playing football full-time. But we encourage the players to do something else, even if that is a, a distance course or a part-time uni course, especially for the, for the young players coming through. They can't just stop education. You know, they have to have something else to back them up. And at the end of the day, it also gives them an opportunity on days off to take their mind away almost. And actually, it, it can really show real benefits in their well-being. Um, they also continue to learn general life skills, socialisation away from football. Um, you know, there's lots of things that are part and parcel with that. But as well as we have lots of players that are still, they have other jobs around it. Um, a lot of them are football related, such as coaching or, you know, physiotherapy, stuff like that. And some of them are completely different. Like we have players that work in child therapy. We have players that are on uni courses to work with, you know, be teachers and bits and pieces like that. So it's, it, it varies, but we've seen real benefits in the players being able to develop skills elsewhere but also skills in which they can bring them back. You know, we, we do a lot of classroom sessions and certainly learning skills is a part of the game more so now than probably what it is ever has been, the ability to communicate with each other, you know, work. And so, you know, it can really help develop a holistic player, a holistic team, but it also gives them something that when they do stop playing, there's another career for them to fall into. Um, and it also, the financial aspects of the game, you know, the women's game is still building. As you mentioned earlier, we've come such a long way, but the reality is they need something else for when it does stop. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's a great, it's, I think it's a great answer. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm sure that everybody listening will be delighted to know that that's the kind of, you know, pathway and foundation we prepare for anybody. Um, because, you know, man, woman, uh, or even kid, you know, child, you coming through, coming through the youth, 
uh, I think it's definitely valuable to have something else to fall back on, whether it is sports based or, or something else. Um, so that's that's great, and it's an interesting uh, you know philosophy to have that dual pathway, and I think it's one that most clubs should definitely adopt. So thank you for answering that. Um, no so the other one is this next one is a bit of a hard hitter as well. Uh, this is one that also is not probably talked about enough. Um, You're testing so, me here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this was another one that was very. Uh, this was you know a number of fans asked this in different ways. Uh, why do you think sexuality has been so much more effectively allowed to bloom and become a great feature of the landscape from the women's game? And what can we learn from the men's game for the men's game? I think, um, of course, yeah, it's a tough question. Again, not spoken about enough. I actually think, you know, it's discussed in the women's game. Okay, it's, it's discussed to an extent, but I think people have come, become so used to just accepting people for who they are that we don't need to discuss it at the moment. It's been discussed in the men's game because I guess there you know it's there surely is someone that that hasn't come out yet and 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 we're waiting for someone to almost break down that wall because that wall's been broken so long ago in a women's game we have such great role models which are i guess ambassadors for the lgbtq plus um so many within the women's game you know we obviously do the rainbow stuff the men's game do as well but I guess players are open, so we don't need to break down that wall. It's just become something that, like I said, isn't even discussed. People are people, are people you know. It, I guess in the men's game, because no one's broken down that wall or it, it, it hasn't been discussed, people seem to talk about it and push about it. And I, you know what? The reality is the more you push someone, the less it's probably going to become something that they feel comfortable with talking about because there's such a spotlight on it. And I reckon with a lot of people in the LGBTQT world, it gets quite frustrating that we have to talk about it instead of just, you know what, this, if that is someone's decision, that is someone's decision. You know, it's quite sad that we're having to really highlight it. We need to obviously highlight the fact that it's accepted and it's absolutely okay to be whatever you want to be. Unless, until we get, you know... I guess that message into the into male football and, and, and they do feel that actually people aren't waiting for the first person to say it and, and that person is going to be recognised for that first person that ever came, ever came out like that. And, and it's this big thing. Then people will feel comfortable with talking about it in the men's football like they do in a women's game. And I guess that's what, that's what maybe the male game can take from the women's game. It isn't a thing. People are just whoever they want to be. And you know what? It's, it's, it's such a great environment because I couldn't imagine being a person that has to hide who they actually are. Uh, it's, 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 it's a shame, really. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done there, which, you know what? There is so much great work going on, I must say. And that's in both the women and the men's game. And it's starting to become, and, and, and I believe the corner is coming. I, th I think it's going to take a while longer um but it is coming and i think the the most that we can do is continue to talk about it and admit that it's absolutely fine and there's 
there's enough support to support those players that need it out there to get them through whatever they're going through, whether that is sexuality related or other bits and pieces. You know, we have fantastic wellbeing department here, which I would hope that, and we would hope that anyone that needs support in, in any those areas, we can support them as a club and we have pathways set up for that. But it's going to take some more time. It's going to take some more conversations like this and it's going to take more people that feel comfortable to talk about it like this, you know. And um, we're probably only at the very beginning in terms of the male game. So, yeah, like I said, a lot more time, a lot more ambassadors, whether they're current professionals, ex-professionals that will, I guess, begin that conversation so it doesn't become a thing to talk about. You know, it's absolutely okay to be whoever you want to be with or whoever you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great answer. I, it's kind of startling, isn't it? That you have such, you have two games that are essentially the same game and yet two totally different landscapes with this. Um, hopefully, you know, more people can have conversations about this uh, with, like you said, more people can talk about it and eventually someone will be that person and, and we can see a tidal so- wave. Yeah, I think what's really important as well, Joshua, is I guess the social media part of it as well. Because in 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 the men's game and and the women's game, you know, there's trolls, but I, I, we see, we see it in the women's game still. In the men's game, there's triple the amount, and that really needs to be policed as well. Because I don't think people realise the effect that can have on people being comfortable with saying things or coming out and and being whoever they want to be because they're just constantly getting these messages through, which I guess some people may think that they're not being read, they're not being seen, but actually it has a real detrimental effect. And I think the right support needs to be there to police it, prevent it and educate people wherever we can so that that doesn't happen and people can be protected and, and be allowed to, you know, be comfortable with, I guess, making that step. Yeah, yeah. I think I think social media is is a big piece of it. Um, you know, we see it all the time, even with the racism stuff. Um, we, you know, it's an unfortunate thing that isn't going away. And and how are we going to police that? Is is an interesting concept um, because you know it's so easy to just create a Twitter account and be a vile person, frankly, um, behind a keyboard and. It's it's mm. it's something that is going to have to be addressed sooner or later. Um, and I guess my next question is actually a perfect segue um, in terms of the the social media and, and the online world. Um, how have the players uh, found the introduction of online streaming? So friends and family are now able to watch wherever they are, um, but also that added knowledge that you know potentially thousands, um, hundreds of thousands can now access and watch this. Uh, do they do they feel a change in pressure or is it just, just another game and there's no real difference to the people uh, that you work with every day? What's that kind of evolution look like? Yeah, it's growing, isn't it? I think we have um, probably different groups of players where, you know, you've got groups of players where they've been striving for that exposure for years. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll embrace it. Yes, there are new pressures, but when you're an elite athlete, I think... And we and we heard um, someone say it the other day. I think it was Jack Grealish. Pressure is a privilege. We certainly say that here as well. And so I think they'll accept that pressure. 
you know, we need the exposure for the game to grow. I think it puts us on a par, doesn't it? It helps us build. I guess it isn't a par, but it helps us get a step closer to equality and getting the same exposure or as much as we can. And like I said, as an elite athlete, you're there to perform. You're, you perform on the stage in every game. You even perform on the stage in training, in theory. That's how competitive it should be. If you're an elite athlete, you're there to perform. You're there, you're there to showcase what you can do. So I think, you know, you, you kind of start to embrace that. The difficulty is the transition from like, being an academy football uh, footballer or a youth player where you don't get any exposure at all. So then you're suddenly thrown in. And like you say, hundreds of people, you know, certainly when, when our games are on BT Sport, there's obviously a lot more coverage, which is brilliant. Um, and that's a real different scenario compared to playing in front of just the parents of both teams at a weekend. So those players need more support, more education, preparation, what the step's going to be like. And obviously probably a little bit of protection in transitioning into it. We do a lot of social media education here so we can support them in, in that end of it. But obviously, you know, like I said, the absolute true elite athletes are ready to perform. The, the, the athletes transitioning into the professional game need some support, need some education with it, you know. And like I said, pressure is a privilege. So if you want to play at the top on the world stage, it's something that unfortunately you're going to have to get used to doing it. And you can either accept it and soak it up and, and understand that you absolutely can't please everyone. And a lot of the time, if you're really performing at the best of standard, you're probably in the zone and you're probably not, I guess, thinking about what's going on and what's being shown you're you're so focused on the game plan and what you need to execute but it's it's about giving the players the psychological skills resilience to cope with it and and giving them the best platform to be able to take it in their stride really but I think there's so many people in the women's game to sum up a long answer so many people in the women's game that have strived for so long for so much exposure in particular players you know great they finally get the opportunity to really showcase themselves on a world stage soak it up you know and it's only going to get bigger only going to get bigger and this is the start of it so this is a really good opportunity for them to start to get used to it get the help around it the support and really you know strive yeah yeah I think I I mean it's definitely an inevitability at this point right I think growth is inevitable uh every time there's a world cup there's more and more viewers every time that there's a there's tv deals put in place to have have them on the tv people are watching it more and more so i think it's great uh, i think it's you know it's a long time coming so in terms of the albion themselves they you know there is a reason why brighton continue to use the kind of together piece um and the fans continue to buy into it too right everybody uh, is happy with that kind of community feel of the club uh, the way the women the youth um are all integrated with the men's team uh, as kind of equals there's you know on the website twitter although albeit you have now a separate twitter account um you know it's a great thing to see that there's no difference you know that's you know 20 years ago maybe would have been seen so can you speak to how that makes the team feel to feel kind of together so to speak 
it's huge, to be honest. I think at all the women's clubs that I've been involved with um, or around or played for, I haven't seen it as big as it is here. Um, everything compared to, obviously, we're going to get our own training ground hub, which is going to be incredible. The investment that's gone into that um, and obviously the, the building's still gone on since, which is amazing. The facilities that we're going to get within that as well shows that the club really take us, you know, they, they take women, the women's game just as serious as the men's game. They want, us to, they want us to be able to perform and achieve the targets that we set out to achieve. And I think, you know, Brighton as a community, you touched on it, is all about equality, diversity, um, you know, the city is brilliant. Obviously, I've worked at Brighton five years now and everything about the club from every member of staff, every age group, it is literally everyone lives and breathes statement of together. So, I mean, it just sums up the community, the city, the club, what we're about, the investment in a women's side and the commitment that the boards have shown to the women's side is huge. And you can just see that by the way that we've been able to grow by the way that we've been able to grow the staff team, the playing team, the the facilities now. And, you know, it, it gives us, you look at the men's side and you look at the elite facilities that they have at the training ground Lansing, which we have access to obviously as well. But that those facilities, those elite facilities allow you to really perform they allow you to compete. They allow you to prepare to the best of your possibility. So being able to have that opportunity in itself just shows that obviously we're a part of this club as much as anyone else. And the mentality of, of, the, of the board of directors of Tony Bloom is that, is that we're together, we're in it together, and they want everyone to succeed. They want the club to grow as a whole. And that's the same with the academy being in category one. It's the same with the RTC getting tier one plus now. It's the same with, see what I mean? So they want everyone to play at the highest level and they want everyone to sustain it. And now the target is raised even further. Not only do they raise the men's target to be top 10, but the women's target has gone to top four. And that is a huge statement, a huge statement that they're considering everyone, everyone within it. And I think it's nothing better than when, I know, I know in lockdown, I, I took part in, in the ring round and I spoke to quite a few fans, especially Kent-based fans, and every, everyone is as interested in a women's team and how they're getting on as well as men's team. Obviously, there's some fans that are, you know, more focused on one than the other, but it was, it was brilliant to speak to fans and they just, they genuinely are interested and wanting the club to just do well as a whole. And I think that just that you know that just echoes the whole community feel in Brighton, and and the support that we have from the whole club, the fans, um, and it can only help you to go on to do better. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, I love that answer. Um, I think I agree, and I think that some point in in the future there may well be a pretty big statue of Tony Bloom somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there needs to be, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, even. Obviously, during this time, it's amazing. Tony Bloom, Paul Barber, everyone, what they've done. I just think the club's gone above and beyond. And I think how they've been, I'm really going off here a little bit, but how, how open they've been to the, you know, the media and obviously to all the staff. And it really, do you know what? It, I, so privileged to be working at a club like Brighton and, and for those people. Um, and they, I think everyone lives and breathes the club values 
Yeah, I love it. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's weird to say like you're proud to be a fan because you don't generally have a choice to be a fan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're like indoctrinated young or you just, it is yeah. the way it is. But it, it does make you very proud as a fan mm-hmm. to see the, the the level in which this club has gone to above and beyond. Like you said, the, they were kind of the pioneers in almost every progressive outlet during lockdown. Um, and lots of clubs took that and and copied it and to good effect um but the fact that albion led the way on so many things is is just incredible and i love it yeah i agree so there has been a, a couple of other questions here there's been a pretty heated discussion since the women's world cup especially uh, i feel like every radio show i turn on that's discussing the women's game has uh, women's coaches men's coaches women's analysts the works uh, players all discussing the same thing for some reason they go back to this same question uh are you for or against goals being smaller in the women's game <laughs> Do you know what? This drives me insane. <laughs> I'm a very honest person. I'm going to be honest. Absolutely not. I just, it's bizarre. I just think women's football, and if we talk world women's football, there's a lot of countries. So we've only been fully professional as a quota, WSL, for a few years now. So if you think goalkeepers, they haven't even had a chance to train full-time for up to five years yet a lot of goalkeepers unless you've been in the game for a top 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 club for long enough and you know what even the top clubs in WSL they were hybrid outfits full time they weren't training like they are now they didn't have the accessibility give the goalkeepers a chance to train full time from a young age, then this reassess. I just think it's insane. I mean, what will happen is they'll make the goals smaller and then they'll complain that there's no goals scored. So it's just a bit, I, I just think you need to give the opportunity for everyone in a women's game to train and compete full time for a significant amount of years, you know. And I think there's been some really good research lately about um, the intensity and the speed of the women game, women's game that's increased through the research of the recent Women's World Cup, which shows, and I think, I think it's almost doubled or tripled since I can't, can't remember the data exactly, there's a signi- but there's been a significant change in the intensity of it, a bigger change than I think there was a period of time that they compared it to the men's game. And it just shows that the women's game is still developing and I know the men's game gets quicker as well but the 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 difference in what they'd shown in the comparison was so huge that just shows that the players that we're seeing now probably in the women's game we're not seeing them at their very best yet I think you know you've got to give the opportunity for even the players we have now we've got to give them the opportunity the players that haven't played full-time to see them full-time and have the opportunity to train to reach their physical capacity and their technical and tactical capacity and have that learning to know where they can be. I just, yeah, I think it's a very quick decision, a quick statement to make based on one World Cup where a lot of those players within that World Cup haven't been trained full-time. So, and that's personally my, my humble opinion. I think we'll see goalkeepers now that come from a young age which will have more experience and more time on the ball in training. They'll have 
they'll have higher and it's not always means it's a better for him higher qualified coaches better facilities to train in what's going to happen they're only going to get better by the time they become a senior level we're going to have better goalkeepers so I just think yeah I just think you've got to give the game a chance to catch up and players a chance and and go from there I just think making the goal smaller I'm not sure it's actually going to impact the game in a good way yeah, I think that's a great answer. I think it's I think it sums up everything. I think you're spot on. I think it's a very reactionary decision. And I hadn't even thought I I had just really thought about it in the fact that it's just a reactionary decision, not even in the idea that, you know, when you put it that way as the the, the sheer lack of time people have had professionally, you know, full time development is is insane as well. And when you put it that way, it's an even stronger argument. Um yeah. so I really I appreciate saying, that. I'm not saying it's just that. I'm not saying it's just that. But I think when you've experienced the change that individual players can make being in a full time environment compared to part time or hybrid, it's huge. It can be huge. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean I think you see it at all levels in and it not even just at football, right? Like you see that the difference someone putting something in full time can make and I think that that's a, a, an incredibly fair argument. Mm. Um, so I guess a couple of questions uh, to wrap up. Um, what has been your best experience as a coach since you began this kind of journey into the footballing world? Or I suppose you just began it as young as you can get, but uh, what's been your best experience as a coach? Oh gosh, that's such a tough question. I've had so many brilliant experiences. I'm just thinking, if, if I think Brighton specific as well. Yeah numerous highlights I think some of the biggest highlights I can't not mention the playoff final that was incredible um I just think the whole day in itself um the way we played especially in the second half but also the amount of fans in stands and Tony Bloom Chris Hewton everyone in stands Bobaba that was just a fantastic day and I, I, I certainly won't forget that and then there's also before my time with the first team, even working with the reserves and winning the um, the league title with them was great because you know I was real real chance for me to be hands on head coach, lead a team, you know, and really see the benefits of them playing well and playing the the I guess showing the identity of the club, which was great. And then obviously the experience of now, if I talk about the present assisting someone of like hope with her knowledge and experience. Um, and she's a great, you know, great mentor. And I think she's been fantastic for the way that we're building and she's really built here a fantastic setup so far. Um, and, and just the experiences of working every day with WSL with full-time team, trying to, where we've just, I guess this is now our third season in WSL, where not only were we catching up, we were catching up, I think we've caught up now, but while we've been catching up and I guess trying to play chase and get up to scratch in a full-time capacity, everyone else has been improving. So it's, it's, it's almost never-ending, but I love that experience and, and I guess that that competitive nature. I'm a very competitive person where... I want to be ahead of that curve and, and we certainly want to evolve into one of the best women's teams in the, in, in the country, which is obviously going to take some time. But I love that chase every day. I, I, I get excited by 
helping players and the team reach their potential. So I think just that, you know what, the past experiences of the playoff final and, and I'm working even with the reserves, but even just the present, sometimes I look and I'm, I'm like, right, absolutely enjoy my job. I enjoy working for the club. And I really feel now that I'm in a great place in my career where I can really implement um, some, you know, really help to improve the team and, and apply some skills that I've learned along my career so far. Love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I think that's a great answer. Um, I love to hear it. And There's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot, but that's, that's a good thing, right? As opposed to just picking out one and being like, yep, that's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so final question, um, pre-season is underway. Uh, how do you see, A, um, how do you look ahead to this season? What kind of progress are the club hoping to make? Obviously, the long term is top four, um, but short term, where is that kind of next goalpost for, for the women's team in the WSL for this season coming up? Um, and B, as a pretty obvious side question to this, how do we see COVID-19 affecting this next season for Albion and the league in general? So I'll start with the, the season coming, your first question. So we've, we've obviously added some, some very experienced players, we've got some good additions coming in, as well as some um, young players with great potential in, in the likes of Katie Robinson as well. Um, so we really feel that um, and looking at the players in training so far they've come back in really good condition they're ahead of where we thought they would be at this current time after such a long period off our initial task is we, we want to ensure obviously we want to ensure that we stay in the league but we want to be more consistent we want to consistently perform to the highest level I think at times last season we had, we had a few dips and we, and we want to push higher up that league table, you know. We want to win more, want to perform better. We want to be able to compete. When we play even the top four, we want to be able to compete with them. So that's certainly our, our biggest target going into this season without sharing too many details. Um, and then I guess your, your other question about COVID and, and I guess the impact. Obviously, we're at the very beginning of returning where... At this moment in time, we don't know going into season what exactly the outline in, in regards to fans or, or whatever that will look like. It will certainly be very strange if there's no fans in the stadium. I think obviously like everyone, like every club in, in, in our league, in the men's league, you have to be more mindful of how you're working things and such and such. But being back and being under the new protocols and, and the measures that are in place, I certainly feel comfortable with being back at work. Um, we check in with the players and we think players, obviously, they've even expressed that they feel comfortable. They're happy to be back. They're happy to be playing football again. And I think it's great for even the fans to be able to watch games. Hopefully when we're back, they're streamed again, even on the FA player. And hopefully they can, if they can't be in the game, in, in the ground, sorry, Hopefully they can watch the games and they can still interact. With us having our own Twitter page now, it also allows them to keep up to scratch a little bit more with what we're, we're doing, which that exposure is, is going to be huge for us as well. So it's, go, it's going to be very different. There's going to be different protocols. So far, so good. You know, I feel comfortable. I think everyone else does. Um, the players seem very happy. There's a really good atmosphere at the moment. Um, 
and the additions have been have been great so far. So I really feel like we're on to good things so far. But it's gonna, you know, it's gonna take a lot of hard work and a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah, I think that's gonna be the the motto. I think for the next year to eighteen months, unfortunately, uh, a lot of hard work and a lot of effort to make sure everybody's safe and, and secure. So. Thank you um, so much for your time today, Amy. I, I really, really appreciate it. And uh, we had some, I, I really appreciate some of the questions you answered because they were a couple of harder hitters, uh, especially that you didn't know what was coming. So I really appreciate that. No, no problem. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we can uh, get you on again, maybe this time next year or, or sooner and kind of have a recap of, of how this season's gone with this whole new world that we're in. <laughs> yeah, sure. Happy to do so. Happy to